0: I did some stuff on the side. We, you know, we call it the side hustle. Right. And I would tell that to your, to your leaders, a lot of them, you have this aspiration that they want to get into a position where, you know, they can be their own boss. You know, they can create their own business, but here's the problem. You have to have money to do that. (laughs) You also have to build kind of a platform to do it. Right. Yeah. And so you have to do, you know, a primary mean of in- means of income in order to build up that side hustle so that it's making you enough money so you can survive
1: welcome I have an amazing guest for you today, Uh, just on the eve of the first presidential debates, uh, Michael Glintner, who is a a career and leadership coach. He's had an incredibly powerful uh, career. Literally tomorrow, he is retiring after 21 years in the staffing industry. Uh, He's made over $20 million through staffing. He has 57,000 LinkedIn connections. And so I got the opportunity to, uh, to be a guest on his podcast. And I just thought it would be an awesome opportunity to bring him on to the leaders of tomorrow. We dug into all sorts of spaces and opportunities and wisdom and real authenticity and vulnerability at one point about. Michael looking back on his career. I know you're going to love this podcast. And uh, you know, thanks so much for tuning in. And you know what I'm up to? We're up to finding amazing leaders. I know Michael at the end of this podcast suggests ways that he could potentially assist us. So it's really, really great. If you know of any amazing leaders, please send them my way at Chris at leaderspodcast.ca. They could go to leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. Or studentworks.com. Have a fantastic day and enjoy the podcast. Cheers. So, Michael, uh, welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Thank you. Nice to, have, nice to be here. Yeah, no, it's really awesome that, that we, we got connected. And uh, why, why don't you actually just share with our leaders, you know, just your background and what you're up to and how you've created the amazing success you have uh, so far? you know, just a, a little piece here. Not too long. Not yeah, too long. We'll dig in. Then we'll dig in. No, then no, we'll dig no, in. I, I'll just give you a high level. How about that? Perfect. Fantastic. You know, I
0: graduated from college in 99. Uh, prior to that, I had worked through college at fast food, believe it or not. And uh, once I graduated college, I you know, went to go work for a large Fortune 500 company because I thought that was the, the way to be successful. And Soon found out that it wasn't really for me, and uh, I just happened to fall into a, a an opportunity where you know somebody basically said, "Listen, if you want to establish yourself and create a career and make a lot of money, then come do what we do, and you'll do that." And you know, 21 years later, tomorrow I'm retiring.
1: Isn't that fantastic?
0: And uh, from my company, and you know, working freelance uh, for the rest of my life because I can. And so, yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot, a lot longer part of the story, but that's kind of like the high level
1: overview. No, well, that's well, that's fantastic because one of the things that my leaders are interested in, and they've all got big futures, they're looking to sort of create, and so it's kind of comparing and contrasting. So, you know, obviously, it's worked for you going into the industry that you chose. So why don't you describe what you chose like early on? And I know as well, the unique way that you chose to do it and just describe how sort of the staffing organization works, et et cetera.
0: Yeah. And and, you know, there's actually more to the story that I didn't tell you. Um, Please. Growing up as a kid, my mother actually worked in vocational rehabilitation here in the US. And what that is, is, is it's assisting employees with disabilities get work. Okay. And so as a child, you know, with my mother being in this space, I, I was always very interactive with her on, you know, how she did her job and how she helped people and what she did to do that. And I really was intrigued by it. So early on in my, early on in my life, I really Knew that I had a passion for helping people, and I also, you know, kind of saw some of the things that she did uh, that got me kind of excited that, you know, that that would be something cool. But n- I never mm. thought that it would be something that I would get into. You know, in, in in the states, the job that she had didn't pay well. It was a state job. You know, they had great benefits, but that's about it. So I never right. anticipated that my life would end up being in in the field that she actually was in, but just in a different aspect of the field. But I'll tell you, you know, I worked my way through school. I hustled. I worked for a fast food chain for four and a half years. I started as a fry person doing french Mm -hmm. fries, worked my way up to management. So when I got out of college, I I knew I wanted to get into a situation where I could thrive, um, be successful, and really drive the ship, not allow, allow someone to drive it for me. So I went to go work for Coca-Cola, global company, thought this was a great organization. I could be a part of the journey. I I love the product and uh, quickly realized that it was, you know, a white male conservative organization. Right. And for, for people that know me, I'm not white male conservative guy. Right. (laughs) So (laughs) I knew early on in my experience with them that I wasn't going to be a great fit. So I started looking and, uh, you know, I met a woman who had a chat with me over the phone and uh, essentially she told me that she wanted me to come work for her. Um, It was with a staffing company and she wanted me to come in as a hundred percent commission recruiter uh, where the only money that I got paid was money that I made. Right. Very, very risky. It's, Talk about gambling. Yeah. I mean, you know, 95% of people in that business fail. Right. So I was gambling big time and I wasn't going to do it at first. She called me up numerous times, begging me to do it. And I finally said to her, listen, let's go to lunch and talk about it. And you can you know, give me the scoop. And she's like, no, no, I don't take people to lunch. You either take it or you don't. (laughs) I'm like, no, you want me to come work for you. You take me to lunch. (laughs) So, So I went to lunch with her. An hour and a half, she beat me up about the, the business and, and how I can make all this money. And, at, it, you know, I told her about kind of like my likes and dislikes of life. And she got an inkling that I like cars. Right. And she said to me at the end of the conversation, she said, listen, if I told you you could have a Porsche, Mercedes, a BMW or a Lexus next year, which would you want? And my response to her, as I remember it was yesterday, I actually spoke to her a few weeks ago, was I would want all of them. And her response to me is, is, right, great. When do you start? So I went back, talked to my parents, and said, Listen, I, I don't know what to do. This is a risk. And my parents, as great as they were, said, Go for it. Take the risk.
1: Right.
0: You know, if, if for some reason you fail, we'll figure out a way to help pick you back up, but take the risk.
1: Yeah.
0: And so I took the risk. Uh, yeah. I went to go work for the company and To make a long story short, when I got hired, the the president of the company, it was a smaller company at the time, a couple hundred million. The president of the company said to me, he said, what's your end game? Why are you coming here? And I told him, I said, flat out, I said, I'm coming here because I'm going to be the top recruiter in the company. Right. And he laughed. And he said to me, good luck, boss. (laughs) And the, the story was written. He hired me. Uh, nine months after I got hired, I was the top recruiter in the company, and it was the top recruiter for 21 years.
1: Yeah. Well, what I love, Michael, is is number one, your belief in the results economy. That's one of the values of our organization. We just believe, you know, hey, I want to be in an organization where I can get paid what I'm worth, and that. Another thing that you've you know highlighted is the time to take a risk is when you're young. The time to take a risk, hey, what, what, you know, hey, you've just been working at Coca-Cola, clearly. You don't get hired in an organization like that without, you know, some skill sets and how you show up, et cetera. So not going to fall far. Go run after your dreams. And obviously and clearly it it worked. But I know one of the other really unique things that, you know, because we've obviously had a number of conversations. And one of the things that really jumped out for me, Michael, was your, you know, obviously initial and constant amazing success, okay, that you've had, but also. That so much of it, you created new ways to do it right off the bat. You were doing it really uniquely and differently. So, what's that about? You you know, were you like, did you listen to some of their training or how much and where did you find the opportunities to be different to build your business?
0: You know, it's, I gotta tell you, for me, it was almost ingrained in my blood for some reason, and I'm not sure why. Right. When I was in high school, I volunteered to be on the newspaper and within 6 months I sold more advertising than anybody ever did in the existence of the newspaper became the editor in chief and tripled the newspaper size and made it full color and I can tell you that was just one of many great stories but the one the biggest thing that I can tell you that always inspired me is when I walked into a situation and was told You have to do it a certain way in order for it to work. I never write reading instruction manuals.
1: Right. Me either.
0: I don't like following (laughs) guidebooks. Right. Because at the end of the day, someone wrote that. And who's to say the person that wrote it isn't isn't that good? Right. And so anytime I took on anything in my life, my number one thought process is, you can, you, They can give me all the feedback they want. They can give me all the intel they want. They can tell me how this works and this doesn't work. But at the end of the day, who's to say I can't write a better book? Right. And so I would say to you is every job I did, every role I took, every position, even the position as a fry guy, I was always looking at ways to speed up the process, make it work faster, make it be more efficient and make it be more successful. And if you look at the story of my life and everything I did from the newspaper to being a, a French fry guy, to running a restaurant, to you know doing recruiting, it was, I never read the instructions. Right. I always listened to what other people did, but then did it, figured it out on my own and made it what I wanted it to be.
1: Right. And so why don't we sort of step back and just give our leaders, an understanding of, first of all, the judge group or the, uh, the judge industrial solutions group, and then also the staffing organization and, and, and how that business model works. And, and also even why there's such an economic opportunity there.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize, and this is like this up in, in Canada because we have an office in Canada. People pay a lot of money for the right person in, in a work environment, right? When companies are looking for people, they want to hire the right people because they know if they hire the right people effectively, it, it it helps the bottom line. You bet. And so what I didn't realize and what a lot of people don't realize is there's a lot of money in the business. If you become good at it, if you become successful at it, people pay you know, 10, 15, 20 hundred thousand dollars for somebody yeah and so what we do essentially the staffing world works is that companies come to us and say listen i want a purple squirrel i want one that has three eyes that can speak three languages and you know that has this type of background right find me the purple squirrel and i'll pay you some money right and that's what the staffing industry is all about And
1: right.
0: so, you know, Essentially, we're a consultant. I call us legalized slave trade because at the end of the day, people pay us to find bodies that that will do the job and make money for the company.
1: And what makes some, you know, so obviously you've been the top 1% of your organization and I guess amongst others as well, what makes some people more successful in this industry than others? I
0: don't know that there is you know my company before i told them i was leaving oh for years my company's been asking me how do you bottle how do you recreate what i've done that's a tough question to answer and the reason why is because i don't think there's a secret sauce of success in any part of anybody's life i don't think any industry there's a, a formula that you know this is what you need to do to be successful in the industry that's like, that's like me going to Michael Jordan and asking him, how are you so good?
1: Okay. It's fair.
0: So the answer to your, your question, cause there is an answer. I, I think that just like any business, any type of job that you do, I think it's how figuring out how you can do it better than everybody else. Right. And so if you look at my colleagues in the industry that do okay but not great or not amazing you know it's because they're doing exactly what i told you i don't do i don't listen to what other people tell me to do and how to do it mm-hmm. and so that i think is the biggest way for any success it doesn't even have to be staffing right i think as a leader in an organization you need to be willing to think outside the, the box you need to be willing to take risks and you need to think beyond black and white. I can tell you in my world, there's no such thing as black and white. It's all gray.
1: Right. So with, with your success, did it come more, uh, Michael, on the client side, attracting really great clients to work for you or on the finding amazing talent to work with that? Or was it, did it all have to happen simultaneously?
0: Generally, the staffing world has two types of worlds. There's one type of staffing business where you only have responsibility either for the company that's hiring or the candidate that's looking for a job. Right. There's other staffing companies that you have a control over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, I can tell you the majority of staffing companies that are out there, you get a half. You so you either work the client side, which is the 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 company facing side, right. or you work the candidate side, which is where you go out and find the people to fill the jobs. I was in an interesting situation because i was dealing with both so i was that rare 25 percent of the industry where i had control of the whole pie okay and so i was working both on we call the client the company so the companies that i were dealing with the clients i would be working with them to find people for them and i would be looking for the candidates or finding people on my own to fill their roles so i had control over the whole piece now i will say That it's not like that in most cases. Right. Oftentimes in leadership in an organization, you don't have full control. Right. So oftentimes in leadership, you have your direct reports. Right. And then you have your your cross-functional indirect reports that you have no control over, that you have influence over, but you have no control over. And so you have to work as a team to get to the end game. Otherwise, it won't work. And so it depends on the type of organization you're in and how you get there.
1: And so one of the things about the role that you had, you sort of, you know, vice president, now you're a senior vice president. So you had directing others, writing manuals, recruiting trainees for your business. Is that right? And how did that roll out for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, so I've managed people. I've also managed just portfolios of business. But I've also been an intricate part of developing training strategies, the ATS systems. And it it all stemmed from success. And that's what I would say is, because this is going to be a question that I get all the time, is how do you get to that VP, senior VP job where you're developing the strategy? Right. Well, you got to cut your teeth and actually do something. The people that are at the top were at the bottom at some point. The reason they are at the top now is because they were top talent. They were hitting the bottom line. They were demonstrating the ability to make money for the company. And so given that ability, oftentimes what happens, they get approached by the company and say, listen, now we want you to replicate that. We want you to find a way to bottle that up and turn it into more value to us. And that's when you get into, you know, Strategies as far as managing people, developing training programs, running an improvement initiatives. One year, I traveled. Uh, I think, gosh, forty-seven weeks out of the year, and traveled oh, wow. to all the different offices throughout the U.S. We had twenty-seven offices uh, to coach people on, you know, the the abilities to better recruit, better work with clients, whatnot. So, I mean, you you get to those pick, those. Parts of your life, but I think the big mistake that a lot of young leaders miss out on is that if you don't take the time to get, take those steps to get there, then you could get to a leadership capacity, but is that going to get you to the VP or C level? Right. And oftentimes it won't. The biggest mistake people make when they cl- want to climb that ladder is they want immediate grat- gratification, so they want to get into a management job right away without building a foundation. The problem is, is then your foundation is made of you know, toothpicks rather than yeah. concrete. And so every time you start to try to build on that foundation and grow your career, the foundation falls because you don't have the, the amount of success that other people have within the organization. So the key there is, is you know, create a foundation of success
1: yeah.
0: and then take those steps it's a step ladder. It's not a, ladders generally go straight up, right? But in the world of getting to the VP or C level, it's a step ladder. It's not a a regular traditional ladder.
1: Yeah. And it's not an elevator, you know? So I remember I had an alumnus recently and she's really progressing very quickly through her role, big promotion early, another one. And the C over startup was, was looking to make a big jump. And, you know, again, I just, I shared stories about that that's a real risk, you know, taking too big a jump. She won't get the expert skill sets and, you know, development. So, you know, that that's a risk and it may find her falling uh, later. And as a result, she ended up, and a lot of times people don't understand this, is that you can literally negotiate with the people above you. <laughs> and so she did not take the promotion. She took a half a promotion and said, I'll, I'll work in this area and I'll continue to develop my own clients because I needed more and more expertise at that. So that again, uh, she could become a rock star in that space. Because how can you be at the most senior level of the business and not be a rock star at that other person's level just doesn't work. Right.
0: Oh, and I can tell you, uh, I've been in the staffing business for so long, there's been many times where people have progressed. Maybe they went to a smaller company so they can get a bigger, fancier title. Yeah. And, and the problem is, 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 that when they go to work for a bigger company, that title, they're not qualified.
1: Right. Yes.
0: And so oftentimes the complaint I get from people is then they have to take a step back or two to go to work for a larger company because they're not able to get into a larger company at that VP level. And it's because they didn't, they took an untraditional path because they wanted the title. Yes. I love people that are title that oriented. I'm not really sure what the big deal is. Yeah. Because at the end of the day. Titles mean nothing if you don't have the responsibilities.
1: Yes. Yeah. And if you're not really doing the role and it's not a transferable, you know, step forward. So, yeah, no, I think that's really great. And I can see one thing that you've done while developing this, you know, uh, tremendous career in the staffing space is also become a career coach. So is that something that is just been a separate business for you or is that something underneath the other space?
0: So I I started kind of developing my coaching mechanism as I got into training with my current company. Okay. And, you know, because people would ask me on the side, you know, hey, can you teach me how to do this? Or can you give me advice on this? You know, but at first it's, you know, it's like any, any type of startup business, right? At first it's all pro bono. You're, you're doing favors for people. You're not really charging anything, but you're establishing this this success, right, of you can coach people through the process and actually, you know, make an impact. And then they'll, they'll quantify that by giving you a recommendation or telling people about you and whatnot. Right. And that's how I've springboarded my pivot because I'm now pivoting into my own business where it's solely on me to, to get work. But I'm not having a problem doing that because I built this business around, you know, people saying this guy's good and he's good at what he does. So we would recommend him. So now I get, I mean, I, I get endless amounts of requests. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually quite crazy, but it's all because I built that foundation. But yeah, I, I did some stuff on the side. We, you know, we call it the side hustle. Right. And I would tell that to your, to your leaders, a lot of them you have this aspiration that they want to get into a position where you know they can be their own boss, you know right. they can create their own business. but here's the problem: you have to have money to do that.
1: <laughs> you yeah. also have
0: to build kind of a platform to do it, right? yeah, and so you have to do you know a primary mean of in- means of income in order to build up that side hustle so that it's making you enough money so you can survive yeah and so that's exactly what I did over the years. I, yeah. you know, as I was being successful in my career, I started creating a platform and a brand so that people knew me outside of my company. And then, you know, when I knew things were, it's the right time, I knew things were, were, I was getting the success I wanted. I had the leverage. I had the, the financial support in, in what I've saved up. You know, that's when you make a pivot and that's what I'm doing now.
1: Yeah. No, and, and also as well, it's, it's, you you know, in my mind as well, like I, I get, hey, I'm an expert and, and, and part of the world says, you know, okay, hey, jump over that imposter syndrome and I can just say I'm, I'm an expert and move forward. And if I'm, you know, I know 10 minutes or 30 minutes or a few, a few months ahead of my customers, then I can actually create and start a business and develop it. Yes, that's true. And on the other hand for you is you basically are a career coach, resume slash LinkedIn branding expert. Well, that's something that you've already been doing for 15 years before you started this. So it's like, oh, you know, no, anybody who saw you at that point could see that, yes, you would be a career coach. Yes, you would be an enormous branding expert, right? Because you are. And then it just makes it so much easier to leverage and create but a w- side hustle. I
0: want to cut you cut you off just for a second please I, I don't want your leaders to think that it takes 15 20 years no
1: for sure to, yes to do
0: that you know listen could i have ventured out a long time ago yeah
1: sure for sure I, of, yeah. of
0: course i could but i also had a very profitable successful career and i, didn't, I wasn't ready to walk away from it um, right. but i could i have pivoted 10 years ago probably yeah. That just wasn't my goal. It wasn't, it wasn't the right time for me, right? I right. just wasn't, you know, I had other priorities and family and whatever. And I didn't want because we all know starting a business, there's risks involved there too. Right. And so, but I will tell you that at the end of the day, for the last five years, I've very much been focused on, you know, creating the credibility outside of my job so that when I was ready. To make that pivot, I had that credibility. So I use the word credibility because that's the goal, right? It's not a matter of showing that you've worked in the business. It's establishing the fact that you have credibility that you're good at what you do. Right. Because there's plenty of recruiters that are out there that have been in the business for 20 years and they can't do diddly squat. Yes. You know, that's not that's not going to create success. What's going to create success is ultimately showing that you are successful. And that's really the catalyst of of building that credibility and building that brand for yourself is you have to demonstrate that. And that goes back to metrics. I mean, it goes back to metrics. It goes back to, have you established your success patterns and what you could do for people and what you could do for companies? Right. And and if you haven't done that, if 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 you fail to demonstrate that, then you'll never have credibility.
1: Right. 100%. Hundred percent. And so, what's giving you credibility is is again not success. What's giving you credibility is is that you are creating success for your clients. So, I I know in one of your advertisements or one of the posts I saw on your LinkedIn was your uh, a majority of people are getting an eight to twelve percent increase in their compensation package. You know, one uh-huh. of your clients got a sixty percent increase. So it's like you're assisting them in getting results. Absolutely. And for our leaders, that's really what it's about. It's how can we create success? How can we create profit value for our consumers? Because it's not a question ever about how much do we cost. It's a question of, of are you worth it? Because, you know, again, if, if somebody, uh, by doing a transaction with someone, I can make $100,000. Well, you know, again, even if I'm giving up 99 to make 100, it's still a win. So, you know, it's, 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 it's all about what the value proposition is.
0: Yeah. And I love what you just said. And I want to touch on what you just said. You're absolutely right. You know well, I charge a certain amount, right? Right. There are people out there that charge less than me all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. But the difference is, is, is I have 200 recommendations on LinkedIn that tell you that I'm going to get you a lot more money. Right. So when you're investing in something, do you invest in something that you know where the upswing is going to be better for you, or do you invest in something because it's cheaper?
1: Yes, and yeah. so
0: you know it, it's common sense that if you're going to be looking for a bigger results, better results, if you're going to be looking to grow yourself, you want to go with the investment that's going to get you that much growth or more mm-hmm. then then find the cheapest way to get there and that goes back to the whole thing about climbing the ladder it's you know there's no quick fix to anything. Yes. You know, I do great, right? I can can take a person's resume and turn it into gold, but I got news for you. I can only do that if you have something to turn into gold. Right. Yes. And so, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to guys. I, I just talked to a guy today. He's got 20 years experience, great background. But when I asked him, can you quantify that for me? He's like, well, do I have to? I'm like, Yeah.
1: (laughs) Do I have to? Of course. If
0: you can't quantify it for me, how the heck am I supposed to convince people that you're going to be somebody they're going to want to hire?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so, you know, I think he's frustrated because he didn't want to have to go through and kind of figure that out. But I think I've convinced him that that's really the only way to do it.
1: Well, and really as well, it's great that our leaders are listening to a podcast like this and swimming in the philosophy that we both have is, is that to sit there and say, I'm frustrated that I need to quantify my success to people after 20 years is wow. What a, what a misunderstanding of how life works. Like I want to be able to quantify and thinking quantification immediately. And always, how can I justify my value to my customer? And even more importantly, beyond that, Michael, I want to make sure that I'm adding value every day because then I can look and I say, oh, wow, I'm adding more value. Look, I'm adding more value. Gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm in this world and I have no idea what value I'm adding. That doesn't work. Right. I, you know, it's, it's, you know, cause then how can I, how can I adjust to again, make more contributions uh-huh. and again, profit follows contribution.
0: You know, this goes back to how do, when a company has a product, Do they make a product and then never develop it or never further develop it that it just they just leave it as is and let and ride forever? No, because eventually the product becomes outdated. Yes, eventually the product becomes stagnant. Eventually the product is no longer an exciting new product. And so companies constantly are innovating. Well, that's the same thing about building a business. You can't just ride on something that you did one time for 20 years. If you don't constantly innovate or constantly show that you're continuing to build success for people, what you've done for 20 years doesn't matter.
1: Michael, I know one of the big things I must say that caught me when we we first got connected was that you've developed over 57,000 LinkedIn connections. Would love to understand (laughs) how that got happening. (laughs) (laughs) You were funny. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, I figured out a way to do it efficiently. Right. So in my business as a recruiter, right. it's all about email communication. It's, okay. I mean, everything we do is dialogue via email, dialogue electronically. I mean, that's everything. Right. So it used to not be that way, but it is now. Right. And so I thought to myself one day, how can i get as many people as possible to join my linkedin with the least amount of work and what kind of devices do i have to get me there right and when i sat back and really thought about it the one thing that i thought about was well what do i use all the time that's instrumental in my job my email right so then my next question is is, okay so how can i use my email To gain traction automatically. How can I use my email to essentially get the masses to follow me? Right. Sending one email at a time? No. One day I thought, you know, I'm going to create a rule in Outlook that if anybody emails me with a certain criteria, that I'll automatically send them a confirmation email back. And part of that confirmation would be a reminder, join me on LinkedIn. Cool. So when I was sleeping at night at 2 a.m. and someone emailed me, they would get an immediate response and would say, join me on LinkedIn. They wouldn't even know that it wasn't actually me. Actually, many a times people thought that I was responding to them at 2 a.m. Because it doesn't say that it's an automatic reply. Right. And I turned it on. And next thing you know, I'm getting hundreds a day.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic.
0: But the point of that story and where I was getting with that is I thought outside the box. Exactly. You know, if you ask anybody out there, how do you get LinkedIn? How do you add people on LinkedIn? They're going to tell you, oh, you ask them to join my LinkedIn or you send them an <laughs> invite, you know, one person at a time. That's yeah. what most people would have done. Right. That's not what I did.
1: Yeah. Well, well, uh, love the answer. Glad I thought of the question, but again, and even that by the way is, is that, you know, for our leaders, it's like, if some, something looks like that's a huge number, how did we get that? Ask the question, right? You know, so, so that's a huge number. And, you know, Michael, you've been doing a lot of that in your career. And, and I know we've been highlighting, you know, success here and we, we like to do that, but we also like to recognize failures or or setbacks. So, what sort of failures or mistakes that you know you could share with the the leaders listening, and and uh, and and what what you got from those? I think you know, for me personally, yeah,
0: we all have weaknesses, right? We all have things that hold us back or challenge us. I think for me, my biggest challenge was. Never thinking about how what my actions did and how they affected other people. So my thought process for years was, how am I going to elevate myself? How am I going to make more money? How am I going to be more successful? And I really wasn't thinking about how am I affecting the people around me doing it. Okay. And I think that one of the things that held me back and really probably hurt some of the relationships that I have,
1: Right. and still
0: relationships that I don't have, I should say, Right, is because I didn't think about how what I was doing was actually impacting others. Um, Now that's changed over the last several years. I learned five years ago. I actually was with my COO, and you know she was giving me criticism, and I was I was throwing back right at her because that's how I normally would. Right, and she looked at me and she said, "This is your problem." And I'm like, "What problem? I don't have a problem. I'm like the most successful person here. What do you have a problem?" She said, "Michael, think about it." Nobody wants to give you feedback because you won't take it. Right. I get the fact that you don't want to use their feedback. That's okay. Right. But telling, dismissing people and shooting them down before you even listen, how do you know that they're not going to give you an idea that may help you? Right. And so how does this relate to the people that we're talking to today? It's simple. We all have a game strategy, right, of how we're going to make, be successful. And it's always about how we're going to be successful. But at the end of the day, don't forget, there's many other people out there that are going to help you get there. It's not just you. Right. You're going to have to rely on different resources. You're going to have to rely on different people. And the last thing that you want to do is burn a bridge. Right. And I can tell you that, yeah, there were bridges I burned. And they probably did affect my life a little bit. Right. Uh, and they probably, I, did, I probably had bouts of where I had walls because I burned a bridge. And, and the reason I burned a bridge is because I got to center on myself and not about the people around me and how they can help me be
1: successful. Well, that's a great share. Uh, thank you for your, you know, authenticity and vulnerability there. And, and that's, that's awesome, you know, to have our leaders get that, you know, again, we're just, it's, it's, you know, one of the tough things about life is it's, it's just not about success. <laughs> There's so many ways we get to judge success as we, get it as we, you know, and again, it's like you said, it's that balance around it. How am I doing it? You know, how am I contributing to, to the overall community? You know, cause as we go up the, that hierarchy of needs that we have, you know, we start to see things with more and more, uh, I think breadth. Right. And that's, and that's really helpful. So that's, that's, that's awesome. So Michael, as you went from, you know, thinking back, you know, just early on in your, your career, to you know who you are now what you've uh developed yourself into as a full-time value creator what did you have to change about yourself
0: uh i had to learn to listen better okay i've always heard people but never listened for a long time
1: okay got it
0: I, i learned you know it's funny nobody people don't think about what is the difference between listening and hearing you know hearing the information is going into your, in, into your ears. But if you're not listening to the information then you're not getting anywhere. Yeah. And I can tell you that for a long time, I, I let's just put it this way. I'll get, I'll give, let me make it simpler. A word of advice. If you're already thinking of your answer before they yes. finish talking, then you're not listening. You should not be able to respond until they ask you a question. And if you do try to respond before they ask you a question, then you're not, hear- you're not listening to them.
1: Yeah. I've had it described as kind of dancing in the conversation. So you're in the conversation, you're not outside the conversation listening. You're, you're, you're again, you know, listening to respond is how most people listen. So it's like mm. I'm listening to make a response rather than just being really, really present. And as a result of it, your conversations are just so much more magical when you can just, you know, be present. Right.
0: Yeah. It doesn't mean that you can't, I don't want it to sound like you can't have a a flow of conversation and there's going to be dead silence in between. Of course. I mean, people can multitask, but you can tell when somebody is just one of those people that don't have a desire to hear you or listen to you. You know, you can just tell. I mean, yeah. There's political figures today that will t- demonstrate <laughs> that quite well, but we won't make any names or call any we names won't. people out, <laughs> but, but certainly there are people out there that, right now that can t- to right,
1: talk to that. Right. Or also as well, and, and this is also something for our people who are looking to be in influential roles as leaders and as salespeople. So it's like when I'm looking to force a, you know, here, oh, I'm going to take Michael along this path to get him here. No, no, no. You know, that just, it, and it won't be as effective when we try to do it that way. You know, it's, it's, it's actually being influenced is actually very influenceable. So I can, I can influence others when I'm, I'm, I'm actually influenceable. So Mm -hmm. I
0: actually like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. You have to be willing to accept weakness and accept that you're not perfect in order to grow and help others be perfect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what key habits would someone want to steal from you?
0: You know, the old saying, early bird gets the worm. Yeah. Do you guys have that up there? Yes, well, we do. I will tell you, I've been waking up at 5 a.m. for 21 years.
1: Okay. Yeah. No surprise.
0: But I could tell you, it's because, but when people are getting walking in at 8 30 drinking their cup of coffee, yeah. I've already have a strategy. Mm-hmm. And that's, and you're ahead of everybody. Yeah. I, I know it sounds terrible, but guess what? You know, if you're not an early person, learn to be. The morning time, you know, they say that breakfast is the most valuable meal of the day, right? Well, it's, why do you think they say that? It's because that's when you're feeding your brain and getting your brain started. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing with starting your day. The right. earlier you get it started, the earlier you jumpstart it and start feeding your brain, the faster that you're going to be able to leverage yourself to be successful. And the more time, ton- the more value you'll get out of the day.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I, I I hear you. Well, just as an aside, and then I'm going to ask you another question, but I think they they say breakfast is the uh, most important uh, meal of the day because cereal manufacturers back in the day, it was a good marketing line. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: uh, I'm not going to argue with that one. I'm not going to argue with that one.
1: But I love your wisdom around getting up early. And we, we talk about, you know, get out of the West coast, get into the East coast time zone. Right. So yes. But one thing I know people are going to want to know our, 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 our leaders is how do they get in touch with you, Michael? So what, what, what ways can they re- uh, reach out to you? And then I have one final question.
0: Sure. You can email me. It's actually very easy. Uh, my email is Michael at dot My last name is spelled G L I N T E R. So Michael at Michael or, you know, get me on LinkedIn. I will only say this, if you, if you go to invite me on LinkedIn, put a note, put an actual note saying that you're inviting yourself because of this podcast and because of, of him, because otherwise I get LinkedIn invites all the time and I don't invite, I don't necessarily accept all of them. Right. Um, but if I see that you're connected to Chris, then I'm going to accept you no matter what.
1: Awesome. And we'll put all that in the show notes. So thank you, Michael. And so, Michael, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? Wow. Forward thinking. Okay.
0: And I don't think that that's changed for me, but I think that that's what has helped a lot of our companies back. You know, and forward thinking is not just about the product you sell or how you lead your organization, but it's also about social responsibility. Yes. It's about how you work with society. It's about the impact that you make on people. And that I think is extremely important. And I think a lot of people, I mean, even myself, it took me a while to figure out that the impact that I was making on people may not have been the impact that I really wanted. Right. And so I would say that you should always be thinking about not just the short-term, but the long-term as well.
1: Absolutely. Well, Michael, I am so happy that we got connected It's a great thing. Uh, And uh, let's stay connected. And um, thank you very much for participating uh, and joining us on the Leaders of Tomorrow.
0: And if you ever need me to teach a class or talk to your students, I'm in. I'm a huge advocate of helping our students of today become leaders of tomorrow. And I don't think we do enough. All right. And I think programs like yours is the reason that we're going to help them. And so Anytime I could be involved in any type of program, I would absolutely do it.
1: Oh, well, fantastic. Well, thank you thank you so much. Again, it's just been, it's been awesome getting to connect with you and I look forward to uh, doing more of it. So uh, take care, Michael, and, uh, and enjoy the debates tonight. All, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you later. Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey leaders, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye now